the talk tonight. The talk tonight <clears throat> is a theme that I uh, appreciate and that I have spoke, spoken about before, but comes around regularly because I find it so important for us in practice and in life and in waking up. And it's about paradox and the paradox of the Dharma and the paradox that's woven into the Dharma itself. And the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, Dharma, the truth that the Buddha taught, Dharma, um, is both very personal and also impersonal at the same time. It's about us, and it's about our experience, and it's about our body and feeling and heart and mind, and what happens for Eugene or Barbara or whatever your name might be. And it's also about something bigger than that, or maybe bigger is not quite, quite the right word, but it's not just limited to the egoic sense of self of Eugene. And so one of the main teachings in Buddhism is uh, the teaching of not-self, which is also important, that the Buddha taught about self, and he taught about what was not-self. And that's a very important, they're both very important. It's not one or the other. They're both important. And so that's one of the paradoxes that's inherent in Buddhism. Um, and the teaching of anatta, which is not self, and the way you discover it not to self, not self, is through the self, right? And you're not trying to get rid of the self, or deny the self, or berate the self, but you're also trying to see that's not the whole picture, that there's self, and there's also what's not self. Or in Buddhism also, we put a lot of emphasis on right intention, right? like what we intend, and to contemplate and think about what we intend, or um, yeah, or what is what we wish to happen, right? The wish to wake up, or the wish to be free, or the wish to be kind, or the wish to take care of all beings, right? Um, and that those are beautiful wishes. And then there, in paradoxically, of course, then the teaching in Buddhism is that everything is empty. And, and that's also true, that everything is here and everything is empty. And empty means it's not, nothing is permanent. It's here for a moment or a while or a period of time, but it's also empty. And so this is paradox of hereness and not hereness. And even the teachings are taught in many different ways. As sometimes um, there's um, one of the ways we teach and that I teach is, oh, there's a gradual path. It's step by step, 
you start, you learn, you get, you start to become familiar with the body, you start with the body and the breath, and then you learn how to be aware of the, the heart and the mind and the dharma and the reality, and then, in, and then it's both internal and external mindfulness, right? And that's, that's one of, that, the, and then you wake up step by step it's a gradual path, one step at a time. And then there's also sudden awakening that can happen in any moment, just like that. And you can wake up and you can be free, just like that. And there's not, there's not a, a logical explanation for it, except that sometimes it's spoken about that it's not that we're trying to get somewhere, we're trying to get here to what's already here, when we wake up, we discover, we realize our Buddha nature, which of course I can easily say is sitting in each seat and we don't know it or we haven't realized it or we haven't woken to it. Although I assume um, and I believe that everybody has a, at least an intuition of it and an intuition of something more that's possible for each of us whoever we are, whatever our circumstances are. And so I like to talk about paradox. Also, there's a, a, a sutra in the Mahayana tradition, the Lankavatara Sutra. And they have one of my favorite Buddhist quotes, so you can quote me on this, that this is one of my favorites. <laughs> it's, they say, things are not what they seem. Things are not what they seem, nor are they otherwise. Right? Like, that's a good quote, whatever the hell it means. <laughs> Things are not what they seem, nor are they otherwise. And it's a Buddhist pointing. It's, I could say it's a description, but that's too linear. Um, it's a pointing at reality. Things are not what they seem, nor are they otherwise. And this is really pointing at paradox, the truth which is not just A or B, or not just one or two, or not just right or wrong. That there is A and B, and there is one and two, and there is right and wrong, but reality is not limited to any one or two, or eight, or B, or right, or wrong. Reality is bigger than that, and includes that. Somewhere I put, have this somewhere in this talk. I don't know where I'm not, but, uh, but it's like, oh, there is A, and there is B, and there isn't A, and there isn't B, or there's both A and B, and there's neither A and B. Now that's paradoxical reality. I hope everybody understands that perfectly. Because it's pointing at something we can't just understand with our mind or our usual way of thinking. And it's pointing to a reality that's sitting right here and sitting in your seat and that I know is here because Life is here, and life is quite magical and mysterious, and, and I could use different words, life, consciousness, aliveness is here. And it's, it's, it's not just A or B, or it's not just 
it's not both A and B, and it's not neither A and B, and it's not both A and B. There's something here that's bigger than any linear description. And uh, there's a beautiful um, quote from Socrates. So like, like I'm saying, things are not what they seem, nor are they otherwise. That's something about, it's like, as human beings, we get to learn a lot and discover a lot. And um, it's, it's amazing what human beings learn and what we can learn. Whatever your interest might be, whether it's, you know, cooking. Like there's so many different ways to cook depending on what culture you come from or what ethnic group you come from or what religious group sometimes you come from or nationality you come from, right? There's different ways that people cook or, and, and that learn how to cook. And it's all human beings all over the world have learned how to cook differently. Not just one way, there's not just one way, and there's not just one right way, they're all right. And they all may be great if you like how the food tastes, or they all may be horrible, horrible if you don't like how the food tastes. But they're all food, and how people have learned how to cook. And it's true of any, any part of human knowledge, whether it's, you know, cooking or gardening or studying whatever interests you, physics or, you know, people keep learning, they keep learning, and then they keep seeing, oh, there's more to learn, right? Like human beings don't stop learning. Whatever culture, I've, and I've been around the world a bit, so I've been to a lot of different cultures, and it's just amazing to see the intelligence of human beings and how, um, how unlimited that is, and how varied it is, and how beautiful it is, and how I learn more by seeing the intelligence of other human beings I don't even know, and who, who I, I don't have the same background, or same culture, or same history, or same anything, but it, it's the wisdom that can come from different peoples is available to us and it's quite beautiful and it's not the end of the wisdom of human beings there is more wisdom to discover as human beings <coughs> so Socrates he said the more you learn the more you realize how little you know the more you learn the more you realize how little you know Right? Every time you gain a greater understanding, it creates even more questions than answers. That's a beautiful understanding. As Socrates said, the more you learn, the more you see how much you don't know. And that's also, in my opinion, I'm old enough to say this, that's part of the wisdom of aging. As we get older, we, we've lived a life, a full life. I've lived a very full life. And it's not over yet, at least for the moment. Uh, uh, but it's, you see how much you know, and then you see how much you don't know, and how much more there is to learn, and, and how beautiful human intelligence is that way. <clears throat> 
And so practice, Buddha's practice is starting to get more and more comfortable, relaxed, present with the paradox of what it is to be alive, to be a human being. And, and being a human being in and, in and of itself is paradoxical. From my Japanese Zen teacher, Ryokan, he said it this way, he said, the Buddha, the Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Isn't that a little bit paradoxical? The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. If you point your cart north when you want to go south, how will you arrive? Right. The Buddha is your mind. How many people think that the Buddha is your is your mind? How many people believe that? Oh, you know, one, right? It's two, okay, good. That's good. I'm not sure if I believe it yet. No, I'm kidding. It's a beautiful understanding because it's pointing at consciousness, right? The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. This is where we're looking, right where you're sitting. That's, that's what the Buddha pointed at. The paradox of what's already here, that's where the Buddha is, not somewhere else. Who is my Buddha statues? Oh, he's too far away. I'm not going to uh, grab I know, I know. But I was looking for, you know, this is too small. <laughs> I mean, it's, and this is actually not ex- actually a Buddha, I don't believe. This may be Kuan uh, I'm not sure who this is. Thank you. This is not really a Buddha. This is a statue. Right? What the Buddha was pointing at, what this represents, is sitting in your seat. It's not sitting somewhere else. The Buddha is your mind and the way goes nowhere. Don't look for anything but this. So of course the paradox is to start to practice and discover who and what we are and what's here. And one of the teachings, one of the beautiful basic teachings in the gradual path in the Theravada tradition is called the Eight Worldly Winds. How many people here know the Eight Worldly Winds? Let me just see. Okay, okay, the Eight Worldly Winds. Here the, and, and they're pointing at the winds of human life. Like the winds that, you know, it was windy yesterday, today, at different times that blow through, right? Whether we want them to blow through or, or not, sometimes we want the wind, sometimes we don't want the wind. And so the eight worldly winds are pleasure and pain, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and disrepute. They worldly winds. And this is part of human life, a normal part of human life. That is humans, we have pleasure and pain, 
We have gain and loss. We have praise and blame, right? Sometimes people really like us, and sometimes people don't like us. And we have fame and disrepute. Sometimes we have status, and sometimes our status is like this. It's actually very interesting. You really get that in the teaching role, too. All kinds of uh, praise and blame and fame and disrepute. But, but this is what we live with, the paradox of human life. Right? It's good and bad, it's right or wrong. And the paradox is even bigger than this. Here's a story I just heard from Lori Anderson, who's a writer in the United States. And she talked about um, participating in some Tibetan Buddhist practice. She said, in the Tibetan map of the world, the world is a circle, and in the center there's an enormous mountain guarded by four gates. And when they draw a map of the world, this is when they do this in, in ritual, when they draw a map in the world, they draw a map in sand. They make it out of sand, and they have different colored sand that they make the map with. Right, and it takes months, and and it's very beautiful. If you've ever seen a Tibetan sand painting, just exquisite, beautiful. And what they do it, they do a whole ceremony with it, and then at the end of the ceremony, as they're done, it takes months and months. It takes months, and then when the map is finished, they erase it and throw the sand into the nearest river. Right which is, of course, how our life is. We, we create a life, each of us, and we're all creating a life. And, and it's good to create a life. It's beautiful to create a life. And also the life goes into the river. That's what happens to life. And I don't even mean death. I just mean, think of the life you had 10 years ago, whatever that was. Right? Did everybody here have a life 10 years ago? Anybody not have a life 10 years? Right? And you, you know, and remember, I'm, so I'm remembering back to 10 years ago what my life was like. That was, and I have, you know, certain key pieces I remember immediately, which is mainly, oh, no bike accident. That was before my bad bike accident. But, um, but you know, it was a life, and it was totally real, totally real, totally happening, and then it's gone. Right? Where is our life from? Where is your life from 10 years ago? If it's not just a memory, where is it? Is it here? Right? Do you remember May 20, what are we, May 26, right? In 20, 2009? Do you remember that day? Remember the weather? Was it this windy? Right? Like nobody, re- none of us remember. Right? We wouldn't even think about it because it's gone, it's in the river. And it's in the river of life, because life is a river. So she goes on to say, they, they erase it and throw the sand into the nearest river. Last week, the Dalai Lama, <coughs> the Dalai Lama came to New York City to do a two-week ceremony called the Kali Chakra, which is a prayer to heal the earth. A prayer to heal the earth. It's a ceremony and a ritual that is done to uh, care for, bless, heal the earth. 
and the dukkha of the earth. And woven into these prayers were a series of vows that the Dalai Lama asked us to take. And before I knew it, I had taken a vow to be kind for the rest of my life. Very traditional, it's a compassion practice. She took a vow to be kind for the rest of her life. I had taken a vow to be kind for the rest of her life. And I walked out of there and I thought, for the rest of my life. What have I done? This is a disaster, right? And I was really worried, she said. Had I promised too much? Not enough? I was really in a panic. And the Tibetans had come from the East for the ceremony, and they were walking around Midtown New York in their new brown shoes. And I went up to one of the monks and said, can you come here and have a cappuccino with me right now and talk? Can you come with me and have a cappuccino and talk? And so we went to this little Italian place. He had never had coffee before, so he kept talking faster and faster. (laughs) And I kept saying, look, I don't know whether I promised too much or too little. Can you help me, please? And he he was really being practical. He said, look, don't limit yourself. Don't be so strict. Open it up. And he said, the mind is a wild white horse, and when you make a corral for it, make sure it's not too small. That's a beautiful teaching. The mind is a wild white horse, and when you make a corral for it, make sure it's not too small. And then another thing he said, when your house burns down, just walk away. When your house burns down, just walk away. And another thing he said, he went on and on with this. Another thing he said, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. Now, like everybody, we all should keep our eyes open to see the Dharma, to see what's true. I'm adding on here my own version. And then one more thing he said to her, keep moving, because it's a long way home. It's a long way home. And so there's so much paradox in there, right? Because she commenced being kind and then freaks out a little bit about it. Like, oh my God, I have to be kind for the rest of my life. I can never do this. And of course, most people think that they can't, and maybe you can't, but you'll never know till you try. And also, maybe trying means you keep trying even if you make a mistake. And that's what the Dharma teaches us. It's not static. It's not, you know, you can only do it right or they kick you out of the Dharma. Really, when it comes to paradox, um, the more you fail, the more likely you are to succeed. The more you fail, the more likely you are to succeed. I was reading something about this, and it said Edison, who invented the light bulb, he tried 10,000 different prototypes before getting it right. Everybody hear that, right? The light bulb, which we take for granted now. Now we're even throwing away the old light bulbs. Now we have the good light bulbs, which whatever, solar and lasts forever. But it took him 10,000 times of, of experimenting to find the right one that really worked. 
And that's how practice is also. Give yourself 10,000 moments of really being aware and you'll, you'll be awake. I promise you that. And if you don't come talk to me, I'll give you a little medicine light bulb. <laughs> and also I was reading about um, you know, those who uh, fail and then succeed. I just found this out, and I happen to be a little bit of a basketball fan, because if you're in San Francisco, some of you may be, we have the best basketball team in the world, and I hope you appreciate that. Uh, it's at Mike, Michael Jordan, who was maybe the greatest basketball player ever, um, except for Steph Curry. But, uh, Michael Jordan, he was great. I saw Michael Jordan play. He was out of this world, really. Phenomenal. Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. And I thought, that's really interesting, right? Like, he didn't just succeed from the beginning and then go. He practiced and practiced and played and played and practiced. And he became out of this world, right? If we were doing a sports we were in a sports room, we would have his banner up, right? Who Michael Jordan is. And it's something true about both sports and meditation. You don't succeed the first time you do meditation. You don't succeed the hundredth time or the thousandth time. What happens is something cumulative happens as you sit day by day, week by week, year by year. Wisdom arises through you and you wake up and it's amazing and it's paradoxical because you're doing something but you can't make the wisdom happen you have to give yourself to practice and then the practice does you and that's also paradoxical and so that continuing to do our best Again, from the Dalai Lama, an interviewer once asked the Dalai Lama about his regrets in life. And uh, the, the uh, Dalai Lama said, <clears throat> he replied, he said that after a student of his had once committed suicide, he felt regret and responsibility for the man's death. And when asked by the interviewer how to get rid of such a feeling, the Dalai Lama paused and I met the Dalai Lama, I can just see him doing this. The Dalai Lama paused and he said, I, I didn't get rid of the feeling. It's still here, right? Now that's real practice, but he said, I just don't allow it to drag me down or pull me back, right? He doesn't get rid of the feeling of what he's calling regret or remorse or sorrow that the man committed suicide. Right, he said, but it didn't allow, I didn't allow it to drag me down or pull me back. I realized that being dragged down or held back by it would be of no one's benefit. Would be of no one's benefit, not mine or anybody else's. So I go forward and I do the best I can. That's a beautiful understanding of one of the fruits of practice. It's not about a perceived perfection where everything turns out the way we want, because it doesn't. But that we continue to do the best we can without blaming ourselves for the, the fact that reality isn't the way we want it to be.
funny story about the Dalai Lama that I have here. Uh, somebody asked, it said, how come the Dalai Lama is so, so happy? And said to him, and asked him that, how could he be so happy? Because especially what happened with his people, country, culture in Tibet, how could he be so happy? And he said, well, they've destroyed our temples, destroyed our sacred texts and burned them. They tried to destroy our whole culture. Why should I let them destroy my peace of mind? Now that's radical practice. That's what's possible for us. Why should we let them destroy my peace of mind? And the person said, what, what was the happiest moment of your life? And the Dalai Lama looked at him and said, now is a happy and because really now is the only moment of our life, right? This is it. And this is the paradox of reality. Even though we have great memories and minds and plans and ideas and we think back and forward, this is the only actual moment there is, is this moment where we're sitting here in the Unitarian Church and we're listening or speaking and biking or not biking. Or, and it's, this is the best moment there is, because it's the only moment there is, actually. Mm-hmm. Alan Watts, who was, I believe Alan Watts was British. Yeah, yeah. He said, when we look for things, there is nothing but mind. When we look for things, there is nothing but mind. And when we look for mind, there is nothing but things. That's what we're pointing at here tonight. We look for, when we look for things, there is nothing but mind, consciousness. When we look for consciousness, where is it? There's nothing but things. And so the potential to wake up is right here, is here in this moment. Don't wait. Don't wait till you get the right life. It, I've never gotten the right life. I keep trying. And you can keep trying. Get, you know, try to get the right life. And it's actually really good and beautiful to get as uh, good a life as you can or whatever you want, whatever makes it a good life for you. But don't wait to wake up because you're alive right in this moment. Mm. Ralph Walker said, Enlightened space, the place of unconditional love, cannot be achieved until one, until and unless one is willing to be comfortable with paradox and confusion. So this is part of what the Dharma teaches, is to be comfortable with paradox, to be comfortable with confusion, to be comfortable with neither right or wrong and both right or wrong all at the same time. Because the world is like that. Life is like that. It's good and bad and not good and bad all at the same time. The Buddha, he said it this way, he said, live in joy and love even among those who hate. Live in joy in health, even among the afflicted. 
live in joy, in peace, even among the troubled. Look within, be still, free from fear and attachment. Live the sweet joy of the way. And the sweet joy of the way is just this moment. It's just right here. Is what's breathing, thinking, feeling, liking, not liking. This is it. It's a living reality that is paradoxical in and of itself. The reality that is not this, not that, not neither, not both. That's what I wrote before about that. Yeah. And it's it's why there's certain words that come out of the Buddhist tradition I like. And the words like thusness of reality or the beingness of reality, or the isness of what's here right now. And can you be aware of the isness of what's here, what's sitting in your seat, or the thusness of what's sitting in your seat, that includes everything and is not limited. It includes your body, heart, mind, thoughts, feelings, sensation. It includes all that, and it's not limited by that at all. There's something more that's here also. And it's not that we get rid of body and heart and mind, but it's not that we're just bound to our body, heart, and mind. And so it begins to point us at the beingness or thusness of reality that we are. And I say this different times, sometimes, especially on retreat, because we're pointing at reality. And then I like to remind people, you are reality. This is, reality's not out there. This is reality from the inside. What's hearing me is reality. What's thinking about what I'm saying is reality, is aliveness or reality. I'm using the words together. <clears throat> this is from Eckhart Tolle. I don't know if his name is Eckhart Tolle or Eckhart Tolle. Does anybody know? Tolle. Pardon? Tolle. Tolle, thank you. He said, there is something within you that remains unaffected by the transient circumstances that make up your life situation. There is something within you that remains unaffected by the transient circumstances that make up your life situation, and only through surrender do you have access to it. It is your very being, which exists externally in the timeless, excuse me, which exists eternally in the timeless realm of the present. It's quite a good, good quote from Eckhart. Right? There's something within that remains unaffected by the transient circumstances that make up our lives. And only through surrender or giving oneself or being present, I'm adding my words to that, or allowing or simply being, right? Do we have access to it? It is your very being which exists eternally in the timeless realm of the present. That's a good line which exists eternally, forever, in the timeless realm of the present, in this moment.
voice. It's said a little differently in Buddhism. This is from uh, Ajahn Chah. He said, people come here, Ajahn Chah is my teacher's teacher in Thailand, Jack Cornfield's teacher. I never met Ajahn Chah personally. People come here looking for the Buddha. They bow, they take refuge in the Buddha, which we didn't. But he says, but what is the Buddha? What is the Buddha? When we see through the eye of wisdom, when we see through the eye of wisdom, we know that the Buddha is timeless, unborn, unrelated to any physical body or history or image. The Buddha is the ground of all being, the realization of the truth, of the unmoving heart and mind. Right? And so when he says that, he's pointing to our unmoving heart and mind, or the potential for us to wake up to who and what we are. <clears throat> and so there's a paradox to practice, which is doing something and also just being, right? And this is the tension between the gradual and the sudden path, because it's all right here. John Cage, the artist, poet, writer, also a musician. He said, I am trying to be unfamiliar with what I am doing. I'm trying to be unfamiliar with what I am doing. And that's why, like, I almost said this in the meditation, I didn't, but like sometimes when I'm being mindful of the breath, I do this little thing. I pretend I don't know what a breath is. Or I don't know what a body is, so that it's new. And it is new, but I think I know what a breath and body is because you know, I've been mindful of breath and body for 35 years or something like that. Yeah, I'm trying to be unfamiliar with what I am doing. And a couple last quotes. This is from Kalu Rinpoche, great Tibetan teacher. He said, we live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There, it, there, uh, there is a reality. You are that reality. When you discover this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. Yeah, beautiful understanding, pointing at the paradoxical nature of reality that we are, because we are reality. Right? And when you discover that you are nothing, you will see that you are everything. That is all, he says. Mm. Maybe the last one I'll read is from Yuli, the great Sufi poet, teacher, human being. He said, live in the nowhere you come from. Live in the nowhere you come from, even though you have an address here. <laughs> live in the nowhere you come from, even though you have an address here. Again, the, the conflation of 
already being freed, but being right here in this world. So those are a few thoughts for tonight. And of course, I'd like to hear your thoughts. Well, how was the talk? Anything interesting? Any questions? Any comments? Agreements? Disagreements? Please come up, say your name, and let me hear what you have to say. Because then I love it when people speak up here because the whole Dharma comes alive in the room. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.